listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. What names come to mind when you think of civil rights heroes in our country? Obviously, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks. Those are people whose contributions to racial justice in the 60s cannot and should not be diminished. And those are names that pretty easily come to mind and roll off our tongues. But there are also other pioneering and powerful people who fought for that same cause and won really critical victories who aren't really given the attention they deserve. One of those people is Fannie Lou Hamer. She's a former sharecropper from Mississippi who fought tooth and nail to win the right to vote after being denied her ballot because of an unfair literacy test. Hamer spoke at the 1964 Democratic National Convention and passionately challenged America to live up to its most basic promises. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we have to sleep with our telephones off of the hook because our lives be threatened daily because we want to live as decent human beings in America? That was Fannie Lou Hamer speaking at the 1964 Democratic National Convention. She would have been 104 as of yesterday. And there's a new book out about her life and her legacy titled Until I Am Free, Fannie Lou Hamer's Enduring Message to America. Now, of course, here in the city of Detroit, many of us are really familiar with the name Fannie Lou Hamer because there is a pack named for her that's run by the NAACP, and it focuses on voter education and voting rights. But for a lot of people, this is a name that isn't all that familiar. So here to make us a little more acquainted with Fannie Lou Hamer and her legacy is the author of this new book, award-winning historian Dr. Keisha N. Blaine. Dr. Blaine, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. So let's begin here. Who was Fannie Lou Hamer and what did she represent in the civil rights movement that stood in contrast to some of the other really well-known names uh, that I mentioned? Well, Fannie Lou Hamer was a fierce civil rights activist. Uh, she was also a human rights activist, you know, thought broadly about liberation uh, far beyond uh, the, the confines um, of the, you know, the nation state. Uh, but I think what is so critical in the context of the U.S. Uh, when it comes to Fannie Lou Hamer's story is that she played a pivotal role uh, in the expansion of black voting rights. Uh, one can certainly... Um, you know, say that that Hamer's activism, certainly her her bold her bold testimony, as you just played, laid the groundwork for the passage of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Uh, and Hamer stood apart from so many other civil rights activists. Many of the the ones you mentioned earlier are individuals, um, you know, representing the black middle class and elite. Uh, and Hamer had a very different background. She grew up um, as a sharecropper, uh, poverty and hunger really shaped uh, her life, uh, certainly her childhood, but even into uh, adulthood, she, she struggled uh, to make ends meet. And so she had few, lim- you know, she had few material resources in that sense, and she also had limited formal education. She had a sixth grade education. Uh, she was a disabled activist, um, you know, who walked with a limp. Uh, there's so many aspects of Hamer's life and experience that 
distinguished her from uh, many of the folks we tend to talk about, yet uh, she was so influential, so impactful. When she spoke, people listened. And I think, you know, as your you know, listeners already heard, she had the ability to capture anyone's attention and to speak truth to power. Mm. And it, it's some, there are some very uh, violent and striking events that happen early in Fannie Lou Hamer's life that really inspire this activism. That's not a story that's terribly unusual, especially for the time in which she lived. But there is something, I think, very particularly disturbing, I guess, about the things that, that happened to her. Uh, can, you, can you talk just a little about the things she experienced? Yes, one of the most difficult experiences that she endured uh, took place in 1961, and this is a year before she joined the civil rights movement. Uh, Sandy Lou Hamer had been hospitalized. Uh, she had a small uterine tumor, uh, and this was a, a non-cancerous tumor, and she went in to have the surgery. The, the white doctor who performed the procedure, unbeknownst to Hamer, uh, made the decision to remove her uterus. And so she was uh, the victim of forced sterilization. And uh, to add insult to injury, she didn't even find out immediately after the procedure. She found out through the Whisper Network, uh, through gossip, because the doctor was related to someone on the, uh, the plantation where Hamer worked as a sharecropper, and she heard about it. Um, she confronted the doctor. As anyone can imagine, she was absolutely stunned. Uh, she confronted him, demanded an answer. He did not provide an answer or an explanation. And as Hamer pointed out, he didn't have to because this was a practice that was quite common, um, certainly in Mississippi, but it was common in other parts of the South and even in other parts of the nation where um, white doctors, for an array of reasons, would make the decision um, to perform these forced sterilizations because they would determine uh, who they saw as unfit to reproduce. And oftentimes, you know, these were black women, mm -hmm. um, you know, impoverished women, who experienced this, uh, but Hamer took that painful experience uh, and really decided to speak out about it. She uh, spoke across the nation about the practice, and she tried to bring attention to it because she saw it as certainly a part of a larger conversation about state-sanctioned violence, uh, in this case, you know, in the hands of a white doctor. Mm -hmm. And and she was also uh, beaten at some point while she was jailed, for daring to sit at a, 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 a restaurant at a bus station in, in Mississippi. Um, another experience that lots of African Americans had and uh, were enduring during this, this time in our history. Absolutely. You know, Fannie Lou Hamer uh, was traveling with a group of activists, and this is 1963, uh, you know, as I mentioned, she joined the movement in August 1962, and so she traveled often with activists in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. She was a field organizer, and uh, in 1963, she was traveling with the group. Uh, they had just come back from a, a voter um, voter registration workshop, in fact, uh, and. Uh, you know, this is a situation that, as you point out, black uh, activists encountered all the time. But in this particular case, Hamer uh, was accosted. She was arrested along with several activists. She was taken to a Winona jail where she was brutally beaten. Uh, you know, but I think by the time um, everything had just come to light, I, you know, I think it, it just it was a traumatic experience for Hamer. Um, 
you know, it left her with kidney damage, with a blood clot in, in her eye. It, left, you know, it worsened the limp that she had um, since childhood. And uh, despite the physical ailments, I think even emotionally, it, it was just a difficult experience for her. But as she often did, she just turned these painful experiences into political action. Not easy to do. Uh, but she decided that she would speak out about, uh, you know, the violence, and she certainly did so, and, and in fact did so at the 1964 Democratic National Convention. Hmm. Uh, I, I want to talk about that, uh, that appearance, more about that appearance at the 64 uh, Convention, and, and I guess put it in some context. Uh, of course, in 1964, uh, Lyndon Johnson is uh, trying to run for uh, his first election to be president. He had become president after the Kennedy assassination in 1963. Uh, it's also the year that the Civil Rights Act passes, uh, and there are a lot of tensions around the idea that uh, maybe that wasn't enough, that uh, we needed mm-hmm. more kinds of legislation to to, to deliver justice to, to African Americans. And there was a split even inside the civil rights movement about timing and pressure and how to make uh, the, the case that, uh, that voting rights was, were, were just as important as what was included in the Civil Rights Act. Uh, this is the, the, the setting, I guess, for, for her to, to take center stage in this, in this debate and say the things that she said uh, at the 64 convention. Uh, but, but I'd love for you to talk about how threatening, I guess, uh, that was to the Democratic establishment, uh, to, to the white Democratic establishment, uh, this was a very different approach than uh, some of the other civil rights activists were taking at that point. Absolutely. I think it's important to emphasize that several months before Hamer delivered this powerful speech in Atlantic City, she helped to establish the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Um, and this is a party that was established to really shed the light on uh, the fact that black people uh, in the state of Mississippi, but not exclusively so. I mean, this was a practice uh, throughout the South at the time uh, that black people were being excluded from the Democratic Party on the statewide level. Um, this is a major problem, as, as Hamer pointed out, uh, in, you know, during the 1960s and early 1960s, an estimated 5% of the black population in Mississippi uh, was registered to vote. We certainly understand the implications of that. And so really black people's voices were not being heard. Um, their interests were not being, um, you know, considered, uh, and she wanted to make sure that really the nation knew what was was going on, that the world knew what was going on, and so that's one of the main reasons why she went to Atlantic City. But even more so, she uh, showed up with a delegation demanding that the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party be seated um, instead of the all-white um, state, you know, party that had excluded African American um, participation. And, um, you know, this whole encounter was a complicated one because she faced other civil rights activists, uh, including folks like Martin Luther King Jr., um, including folks like Roy Wilkins, and also Baird Rustin, so many others who wanted to find a way to work with the National Party. You know, as you point out, they were thinking about the presidential election. You know, they were thinking about 
long-term goals. And it's not that they um, were okay with black exclusion, uh, but but they wanted to they wanted Hamer to accept what amounted to a compromise, which was you know two seats, two symbolic seats, and Hamer refused. And so she found herself um, in, in conflict really with other activists who wanted to. Um, really make nice, I think, with the, with the National Democratic Party, thinking about the long game, one might say. Uh, but Hamer made it clear that she did not show up for, for two seats, and she refused, refused to acquiesce. Um, but, but in doing so, I think she sent a powerful message about what it means uh, to lay out, on, you know, lay out on the table what it is you need um, and the importance of sticking with your demands, um, because sometimes you simply have to. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue to learn more about Fannie Lou Hamer and her legacy from Dr. Keisha N. Blaine. Uh, We want to hear from you as well during this conversation. Call and tell us, do you know the name Fannie Lou Hamer? Did you know it before today? What do you make of her story as a disabled black woman who worked as a sharecropper, faced forced sterilization, and was denied the right to vote? Uh, through things like literacy tests. Uh, Call and also tell us how you think this story relates to the conversations we're having right now about voting rights in America, not just here in Michigan, but all over the country. 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest right now is Dr. Keisha N. Blaine. She's an associate professor of history at the University of Pittsburgh and the president of the African American Intellectual History Society. She's got a new book. It's called Until I Am Free Fannie Lou Hamer's Enduring Message to. America. We're talking about uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, the life that she lived, the work that she did as part of the civil rights movement, and the legacy uh, that remains in our country because of the things that she did. We'd love to hear from you as well during this conversation. Is Fannie Lou Hamer a name that you're familiar with? Uh, she is not one of the most recognized civil rights figures from the 1960s. Uh, give us a call and let us know what you know about her life, about her work, and also give us a sense of how you think uh, what she did and what she stood for fits into the context of the debates and discussions we're having now about voting rights uh, in America. As always, the the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and uh, put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the conversation that way. Let's start with Anne in Waterford. Anne, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, Anne. Hi. 
Go ahead. Hang on. I'm going to put you on my speakerphone. Uh, no, uh, it's better if you don't, but. <laughs> Good morning. Hi, Ann. Uh, can you hear me all right? Yes, go ahead. Uh, I told your staff person that I'm 81. I was born and raised in a small southern town, and I witnessed exactly the type of thing that Ms. Hamer went through. I am so glad that someone is bringing this all up and talking about it. Uh, I was fortunate that I had righteous parents who taught me the right way. And my mother, uh, would she was a teacher, and she would go at night after she got home and teach black children in the area that black people were allowed to live, where there was no running water, mm. no electricity. They were not allowed to vote. My father tried and was working to change the law so that they could vote. And uh, things like the lady that my mother paid to take care of us while she was teaching, uh, her son came down with something. I don't know what it was, but it was life-threatening, and the local hospital wouldn't treat him. Mm. Mm. So my mother had to pack us up in the car and drive all the way to Lexington, which was more than 100 miles, uh, to get this child treated and to save his life. Uh, the schools were for black people. There were no, no school books, no running water, no electricity. So why would these children try and get an education? Uh, I'm, can you tell I'm upset? <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm, I'm really glad you called and, and shared those experiences. I think it's really important for people who do have those memories to keep talking about them and keep reminding those of us who maybe weren't uh, old enough to, to have experiences quite like that uh, that they that they happened and that they happened not as long ago as we might want to imagine and and that uh, that our country today is not as distant in the way that it operates and the, the the legacy of those things is still hanging pretty heavily over many of our heads and I really really appreciate your listening and I appreciate your calling uh, Dr. Blaine. I'll give you a chance to respond to, to what Anne is uh, telling us here. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that immediately came to mind um, was just the circumstances uh, in, home, uh, in Hamer's hometown of Louisville, uh, Mississippi, today. Uh, as I was writing the book, uh, you know, I... I... Uh, we've lost the connection with uh, Dr. Keisha Blaine. We're going to... We're going to get her back on the line. But meanwhile, uh, we're going to go to another caller, Tim, in Detroit. Tim, what's on your mind? Okay. Oh, wait a minute. Let me turn off your radio. Okay. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Go ahead, yeah. Tim. Yeah, listen, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, obviously the woman was a genius, but she has a lot of quotes, uh, particularly uh, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. But can you ask the author to talk about the quote, they know what they did to us? Please, if she knows. Uh, yeah, we uh, we are trying to get uh, Dr. Blaine back uh, back on the line, and when we do, we'll have her address that. But meanwhile, Tim, I, I wonder if you can talk just a little about how you know about Fannie Lou Hamer. As I said in the open to the conversation, she's not one of the civil rights heroes that many of us were taught about in, in school, for instance, and uh, she's not somebody whose name I think immediately comes to mind. So, so give me a sense of how you know uh, as much as you do about her. Well, 
I, I pay attention to politics. I haven't uh, did all my life. You know, we didn't get a lot in, in, in school. But when you look at her history, uh, she's one of the giants of, of, of American history. You know, what she did standing up to the Democratic Party that most of us belong to now is really legendary. Uh, she, she, it just took a lot of courage for her to do what she did. And I can understand why American history wouldn't want to highlight her given all the cruel things that these government sanctioned things that happened to her. I can understand why people would want to publicize yeah. her life. Yeah. So, so Tim, we do have Dr. Blaine back on the line. Uh, do you want to repeat the question that you had for her? Sure. Uh, uh, Dr. Blaine, I was uh, uh, asking uh, people are familiar with some of the quotes that she gave and Clearly, in my mind, she was a genius. But can you talk about the quote she said that they know what they did to us? Oh, um, I'm blanking on which which quote you're referring to. Um, what I will say, though, is most people probably know Fannie Lou Hamer through, um, you know, the, the phrase, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think people say it often, mm-hmm. but may not realize that, you know, they, these are Hamer's words, in fact, um, as well as the, the title of the book, you know, that, you know, whether you are, are black or white, you are not free until I am free. Uh, so, so those are the, some of the iconic phrases that immediately come to mind. Hmm. Uh, and Dr. Blaine, before we lost uh, your connection, you were talking about the, the, the place that Fannie Lou Hamer grew up and, the things that were true about that place uh, when when she was growing up there. Yes. Uh, so I was talking about the fact that um, Hamer worked so courageously to, you know, to address poverty and hunger uh, in her hometown. And uh, as I was writing the book, I think one of the things that really um, stayed with me was the reality that, you know, economic uh, inequality remains a challenge in Hamer's hometown to this very day. I was mentioning that more than 40% of the population, uh, you know, are living under, um, below the poverty line, and the majority of these residents are are Black and and Latinx residents. And so uh, it's a reminder that as much as some things have changed, we've certainly made progress in, in many areas the fight still continues. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to talk before we have to end the show about the the sort of cast forward of Hamer's work and the, the, the person who, for me, I guess most embodies that work now and, and reminds me uh, all the time, I think, of what Fannie Lou Hamer did is, is Stacey Abrams, who's, whose focus is on voting rights and voter access and voter registration. She's building on, it, feel, it feels to me, like the, the legacy of, of Fannie Lou Hamer in a way that's quite direct. And I see this incredible, I guess, connection between those, those two names. Absolutely. I, you know, I think that's true. Um, so many, um, I, you know, as you're talking, I was also thinking about um, just the, the work of, uh, for example, Amy Allison, um, who's really, I think, an important voice in, in the fight for voting rights, too, and Latasha Brown. Like, there, there's just so many remarkable um, black women in, in the contemporary moment who I think are carrying forward uh, Hamer's legacy in a powerful way and um, certainly, I think, remind us of the importance of, 
of, you know, pushing to ensure that every American citizen, you know, has access to the vote and that no one should be denied, um, you know, because of their, their race, ethnicity, uh, or gender. Uh, I think these are um, just powerful lessons that we have to hold dear. Mm. Uh, I want to quickly go to Myrtle in Detroit. Myrtle, I've only got about a minute left, but I wanted to get your story in here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, I wanted to acknowledge uh, Fannie Lou Hamer's Freedom Farm Cooperative as an urban gardener on the east side. It inspires me mm. to continue to do the work, and the gardens and the farms are entry point into all things related to human rights, social justice, and each one, uh, reach one and teach one. Mm. And I just want to acknowledge uh, our dear sister Fannie Lou Hamer. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting connection as well, Myrtle. Not something that I think necessarily comes to people's minds, even when they know Fannie Lou, Lou Hamer. Uh, Dr. Blaine, talk about that that agricultural connection there. Yes, yes. I, you know, in the book, I have an entire chapter on, on poverty, on economic justice, and I talk about Hamer's Freedom Farm, which he established in the late 1960s. Um, you know, one of the things that Hamer would emphasize over and over again is that uh, as much as you can talk about voting rights, you know, the expansion of black political rights, that's certainly important, but you have to address, uh, you know, the basic needs. You have to address, um, you know, food insecurity. You have to make sure that you are uh, paying attention to uh, the needs on a local level. And so that's what she did, you know, as she traveled around the country and she spoke about voting rights. Uh, she um, launched uh, this farm as a way to ensure that people would always have access to the food that they need and also even providing housing, yeah. uh, educational opportunities, job opportunities. It, it was a practical response uh, to the problem of poverty. Uh, in the Mississippi Delta, and and she also, I think, uh, ended up, uh, you know, inspiring people all across the country. So right. it wasn't just confined uh, to the Mississippi Delta. Sure. The Freedom Farm reached across the nation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Dr. Keisha Blaine, it was great to have you here to talk about Fannie Lou Hamer. Thanks for joining the program. Thank you for having me. It's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when Congressman Peter Meyer is going to join the program for the first time. It'll be an interesting conversation for one of our newest representatives in Washington. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station.